A couple of years ago, I was able to meet up with an old friend of mine. His name is Rob Schmidgall, and we had a great time getting reacquainted and reminiscing about our days together at Calvary Christian School. We were in the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade together in a town in a city called Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, about 30 miles west of the city. And you see, Rob's father was the pastor of a big, great church in Naperville called Calvary Temple. Today, if you look it up on the internet, it's called Calvary Church there in Naperville, Illinois. And my his dad was the, fa- uh, the pastor, and my dad came to be the senior associate pastor of the church. And it was at that time in 1980, it was a rather large church for that time. It was a couple thousand people. And not only was it a big church, but it also had a school there called Calvary Christian School. And I was enrolled there with my sister. And uh, we were there at the school. And now Rob and I were among a group of boys our age whose families attended the church and they also attended the school. So there was, a, there was this group of us boys. And now we were a pretty lively bunch of fifth grade boys, okay? Especially Rob and I, because his dad was the senior pastor, my dad was the senior associate pastor, and so we were kind of like the royalty of the school and the church. We were like the princes of the, you know, anyways, just bear with me. So we were, we were this rowdy bunch of guys. Now the school had a principal and his name was Dr. Bess. Dr. Bess, B-E-S-S, that was his name, Dr. Bess. And while he was certainly a nice man, a very nice man, he was a, a good principal, more often than not, we were getting to him. We were getting under his skin. We were often very talkative. And during lunch and other times, we were just plain silly. I mean, we were fifth, sixth, seventh grade boys. We were silly. And one of the things that every one of the boys from that class would remember to this day is what Dr. Best would say to us when we were probably a little out of control and being terribly silly. He he would look at one of us and he would say, be still, be still. That's the way he would say it. We were fifth grade boys. Our natural instinct was to be anything but still. We were talkative, we were silly, we were fidgety. We were all those things before the internet. We were disruptive at times. And then a little while later, after I had met up with my friend Rob, I conversed with another friend from the class. And wouldn't you know it, that Dr. Bess was the subject that came up and what he would say to us boys was a subject of conversation even with him. And now he is a senior guy with the Motorola Corporation in the Chicagoland area. And we sat there and reminisced about Dr. Best telling us to be still, be still. To this day, I can still hear Dr. Best say to us, be still. And you know that exhortation 
is a message that most of us, if not all of us, need to hear today. Be still. Like most fifth grade boys who find it hard to be still, we can find it difficult as well. We're programmed from the time we are young to be busy, to be active, to be working and productive. And the exhortation from God comes to us to be still. And we find it very hard. A lot of the time, you might look around and see a few people who need the opposite exhortation. You look around, you see some people, you need to not be still, you need to get going. (laughs) I actually need to be still. You perhaps need to be still tonight. Sometimes we look at our lives and we're looking at, we're looking for direction, we're looking for the solution that we think that we need to a situation, a situation in our lives, and there's something that we need to do in that situation. Be still, be still. There's always something that I should be doing that I'm not doing, and so the exhortation can be difficult. If you're conscientious, if you're a conscientious person, there's always a sense of like, well, I should be doing something. I should find something to do. But sometimes we just need to be still. God wants you to learn to be still. A lot of Christian maturity is learning to do the right things. We learn to read our Bibles. We learn to pray. We learn to give. We learn to serve. But God wants us to learn one more thing. He he wants us to learn to be still and to trust. He wants us to learn these things that he wants us to do. And sometimes that's simply trusting him and being still in him. Now, there was a time, this was a few years ago, I took a trip. We went, took the boys over. We were staying in Virginia and we went over to Maryland for a couple nights and stayed in Baltimore in the inner, what they call the inner harbor. And we went to a Orioles game at Camden Yards. And you know, if you go to Baltimore, you got to go to Camden Yards, right? And you've got to have some crabs, right? And those are the two things you got to do if you go to Baltimore. So we did. And we were walking around the inner harbor there, and there was one of these outdoor uh, these, these tents there on the inner harbor with these little shops and everything. And so we walked into one of them, and inside one of them, there was this psychic giving like palm readings. And, uh, and it just had, she had a sign that said, you know, psychic, you know, get your palm reading, right? And I had learned this from an evangelist friend of mine. And so I took my opportunity and I came up to her at her booth and I said, you know what, today I really don't need a palm reading, but I'd like to give you a psalm reading. And I pulled, and so I read her a psalm and she sat there and she listened to me read an entire psalm. Wouldn't you know it? So, hey, sometimes you can just get a captive audience just by simply doing it, folks. Amen? And so I did. Now, tonight we're going to get a psalm reading. Amen? A psalm reading. Not a palm reading, a psalm reading. So we're going to take a look at this passage, and it's just one verse. And let's, let's, let's take a look at it. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 11 too, since that closes the chapter. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 46 is a psalm that declares that God is a refuge and strength for us in time of trouble. Whatever is going on in your life, God is your refuge, no matter what. Christian, no matter what's going on, God is the place to turn. As we've sung in the song, God is the one that we need to run to. God's your refuge. He's the one to whom you need to run. The command here in verse 10 of Psalm 46 is to be still and know that I am God. So let's break this verse down so that we understand exactly what it is that God is telling us to do. The first command in this verse is for us to be still. The word in the Hebrew is the word rafa, and it means be still. It means this, to sink, to relax, to sink down, to, to drop, to relax, to abate, to withdraw, to relax, to, ref, to refrain from, to, to let alone, to be quiet, to, to show oneself slack, actually, to, to, to be still. And so now this is the opposite of the picture of the person who is in the water drowning, okay? So if, if hopefully, as I read the definition, you got, a, you got a picture of someone kind of being still, of relaxing, of refraining, of, of kind of no motion, really, so to speak. And what I want you to picture is another picture in your mind, is someone that's out there, just they're in the water and they're drowning. And what a drowning person does when they're in the water is they're just kind of flailing. The arms are going back and forth, legs maybe popping out somewhere, and water is splashing. And so you have this completely um, just kind of out of control look. And this is the picture that you have of someone drowning. Now, you need to hear the word of the Lord speak to you today. And this is it. Be still. Relax. Drop your hands, let go, abandon your franticness, be quiet, be still. What you need is not a picture of activity, but you need an, a picture of tranquility, <laughs> like a screensaver, all right? Like a beach screensaver. <laughs> this might help you. Relax a little bit. To be still in the presence of God. Amen? Now, why is God giving this imperative? Because there will be times of trial, times of trouble, and there's nothing that you can do. Sometimes there are things, and we look to the word, and, and there's this clear path. There's a clear command. The situation is clear in terms of what we are to do. But sometimes... More often than not, there's a lot of times where we don't know what we're to do. We don't know what the right course of action is. There can be difficult situations that come, that arise. And you might think, well, I should do this, or the word seems to tell me to do this. 
but you go back and forth and back and forth and it's just, you don't know. And that's the time that you need to be still in the presence of God. This psalm is exhorting us to be still and to know that God, that he is God, that God is a refuge and strength and he's, a very, and he's very present in times of trouble. When, when trouble strikes, he's near. God is near. Now, the reality is that m- m- many people actually feel the opposite when trouble strikes. When trouble comes, they feel the opposite about the fact that God is there. Even though he's a very present help in times of trouble, when trouble comes, they feel like he's abandoned them, that he's not there. In fact, you're in the midst of trouble and the question comes and it's, where are you, God? Where are you? Because I don't know what the the, the thought is, perhaps, if God was here, how could this trouble be here too? But God is a very present help in time of trouble and we need to know it. We need to know that all the days of our lives. And God wants to teach us how to to be still, to know, to trust, to know that he's God, and to know that he's our refuge. So be still. Be still. That's it. That's what I want you to do. That's what God wants you to do. To put all your trust and faith in God. Now that he has you still, now there's something that he wants you to know. He wants you to know something. I want you to know, I want you to be reminded of something. I am God. I'm God. The verb to know here in verse 10 is the Hebrew word. It's, you're, you should be familiar with this Hebrew word. It's the, it's the word yada. You know, yada, yada, yada. Um, yada, to know. It means to know, to perceive, to see, to, to discern, to know by experience, to know to be acquainted with. It's actually to know a person, actually, it's, it's used in the sense of to know someone intimately, actually, for in the, in the, in the way of a husband and wife, it's actually used um, as to know them sexually. So it's, 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 it's all kinds of different knowledge and, and it's, 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 it's more than just a head knowledge. It actually goes into experience, into really, really knowing something. And so this is the idea. This is why it's used in language the way it is. And it is used in all these different ways in, in our language and in our culture as well. There's a lot of scriptures that actually contain this, this idea of knowing. One I want to turn to, uh, help you, uh, turn you to is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21. You'll be, a, you'll be familiar with uh, some of this, but beginning in verse 21, it says this, have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told you from the beginning, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out like the the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Yes, it's it's to know, to, to, to actually have understanding, to actually have discernment, to actually know something. 
but yet it goes deeper than just understanding. It's to know, to perceive, to be aware of. Miriam, it's said of Miriam, she stood afar off so that she would know what would happen to Moses. Remember when she was there watching her brother who, as her mother put Moses into the, into the little you know, baby boat there on the Nile and, and sent him out onto the Nile and it was Miriam who was watching so that she would know what happened to Moses. It's also a knowing by experience. Job receives the word from Eliphaz. In Job chapter 5, verse 25, you'll see this verse on the screen. It says this, You shall also know that your descendants shall be many and your offspring like the, the grass of the earth. And then, of course, it's to know, to be acquainted with, to have intimate knowledge. It, again, it is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. And we see this all the way back in Genesis. We've been in Genesis. Genesis chapter four, verse one, you'll see it on the screen. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So God wants us, he says he, he wants us to be still and to know. God wants us to see with our eyes to understand and to know with our minds and to experience intimately that he is God. What does he want us to know? He wants us to know in all of these ways, he wants us to know that he's God. He wants us to see and perceive that he's God. To see it, to perceive it. To see it and perceive it every day of our lives. To see that, that he's God in our lives. Do you see it? Are you seeing it in your life? Are you perceiving that, that he is God in your life? He wants us to know it by experience. Do you know it by experience that he's God in your life? Can you look at a situation? Can you look, at, can you look back and say, you know, wow, look at what God did. Look at, you know, the, the, there's no other explanation. I mean, we talk about this idea of like, oh, that was a God thing right? It was a God thing. And I was actually talking to a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, a Calvary Chapel pastor up in Toronto, Canada. I was talking to him yesterday and we were talking about this topic came up uh, about a God thing. And, and he said, if it's a God thing, you can't stop it. You can't make it happen. And I was kind of relaying a story to him about a God thing that happened in our life about four years ago and how it was such a God thing that it was like, if you tried to orchestrate it, you couldn't do it. No, no person could try to orchestrate it. It would be like trying to orchestrate when people look at the Bible and they say, oh, it's man-made and, and, and somebody came up with it. Look at the prophecies concerning Christ and how all, all of that came to pass and how he was born in Bethlehem and the lineage and all the rest of it. You couldn't put that together if you tried. You couldn't begin to put together a couple, two or three of the things, let alone all that whole package of events that transpired in the birth of Christ. And let me tell you this, if it's a God thing, if God's doing something in your life, you cannot do it. It's God. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. And the question is, do you know that? Do you know he's God in your life? Have you seen his activity in your life. He wants us to know that he's God. He wants us to see and perceive that he's God. He wants us to experience that he's God in our lives. And he wants us to have intimate knowledge in our lives. He wants us to have such an intimate knowledge that he's 
that he is God, that when we are going through our lives, that that is kind of a foremost thought that actually kind of dictates like other thoughts that we might have. You know, sometimes, well, why am I thinking about that? Why am I thinking about that? Well, maybe, maybe, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, you know, the, they're talking about all these, you know, everyone, all the Google and all the companies, Facebook, they're going before Congress and sitting and, and they're talking about all their algorithms and we've got this algorithm that does this and steers people this way and this way and your, 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 your newsfeed and your, in your social media and all this. Well, we need an algorithm. It's called the word of God. And, and that algorithm is going to begin to, to dictate like how we perceive things and how we uh, understand things. You say, what? You say, that, that sounds wild, uh, Charles. Well, look at what Jesus said. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. When you know the truth, it begins to have a, an effect on your life. It begins to have an effect on what goes on in your life. And there's so many people that want freedom. They want the liberty of God. They want God to, to move in their life. And they, they're asking God. And you just need to be still and know that he's God. And, and, and know that intimately. And know him. And that, I guess... Uh, you know, can I call it an algorithm? The algorithm of, of that knowledge of God begins to bring about a, 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 a thought process in your life, right. a, a knowledge in your life, and that knowledge of him brings freedom. Amen? Amen. What is the truth that Jesus wants us to know? He wants us to know that he is God. The word for God in verse 10 here in Psalm Psalm 4610 is the word Elohim. And it is a Hebrew word for God that we see in the very first verse of scripture in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. So here we have, be still and know that I am God. The Bible, I am Elohim. And the Bible opens up this way, in the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, God, be still and know that I am God. So, who is Elohim? Elohim is the creator of the universe, right? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He created the universe out of nothing. He is the God that we can know. You can know the creator, Elohim. That's who you can know. People might, it might sound arrogant to some, like, well, you can know your creator. Well, yes, you can. You can. You can literally be driving down the street knowing and having a conversation with the person that created the universe. And that's pretty awesome. So you just you think you're just driving down Wickham, Wickham Road or US-1, but you can know the, universe, the creator of the universe. Amen? Elohim. Elohim is a word that is plural. In the Hebrew, you'll notice that when you see words that end in I, M. I am is kind of like S, right? So like we would say, um, you know, I don't know, chair, a chair and then chairs, you know? Uh, so anyways, they would have a word and then the, then the word to make it a plural is to, 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 you know, you stick an I am on it. I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, but this is just, this is the way it is in Hebrew. So Elohim is, is a, is a plurality, it shows us the plurality in the Godhead. The Godhead shows us, well, 
here's what the Godhead shows us. It, it shows us perfect fellowship. So you have, and this is when you get into the idea of the Trinity, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And um, not to get deep into like a theological thing tonight, because you know the Trinity is really, you know, can be a tough one to really wrap your mind around. But you know, God wants us to to try to wrap our mind around Him. We're not going to fully be able to do it, but He wants us to to know Him, right? Be still and know that I am God. And 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 there's a plurality in the Godhead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the word one there is a cod. It's actually a complex unity, a compound unity. And so there's a plurality in the Godhead. And what we see in the plurality of the Godhead is perfect love, perfect fellowship, and perfect relationship of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Holy Spirit and all the way around. Right? And so it's, it's, it's pure fellowship, it's pure relationship, and it exists in the Godhead. And that's one of the reasons why you and I long for relationship, and we long for fellowship. And we long for it, whether we realize it or not, we long for it in its purest form. We, we, we do have a longing for God. We were actually talking about this on Wednesday night, about how every person has a thirst for God. And we were talking about how Jesus met the woman at the well. And, you know, he said, you should have asked me for a drink and I would have given you a drink of water that would spring up within you uh, to a, a fountain of living water. And if you would drink this water that I would give you, that you would never thirst again. And so there's this idea that we have this longing for God. We have this thirst for God. We have this longing for fellowship with God, for pure fellowship, for pure love, for perfect love, for perfect fellowship. And it's all in the Godhead. So be still and know that I am God, that I am this Trinity. The root of Elohim is used for, it, it is actually used of rulers and judges. And so there actually could be an idea here that God is saying to you, be still and know that I am God. I'm the ruler. <laughs> I'm the ruler here. I'm the ruler of the universe. It is he that sits above the, you know, above the earth. It's, the, it's, it's he that's the, it's the, he's the Lord and master of creation. It's his. All the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's the supreme ruler and judge of the universe. And we, in God, we know that there will be ultimate justice and he's going to, to rule justly and judge righteously and he will settle all accounts and he will settle the scores. And so, uh, so sometimes, you know, one of the reasons why we might be restless is because of all the stuff that's going on in, in our lives and perhaps the world and we see all the injustice and, and it's perplexing to our mind. And, you know, maybe it's as simple as just saying, look, you know what? It, 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 it's, it's not all kind of figuring out right now, but God does have it under control and he is the supreme judge and ruler of this universe and he is going to bring that justice to bear. He is going to settle all accounts. So be still and know that I am God. When, you, when you're looking at how could this be and how could this happen and what's going on with this, this part of the world and, and be still and know that I am God. Elohim is the one true God. He is God, and all the, other, all, all the others are imposters, those that would try to, 
to be him or be like him. You know, you remember, you remember Satan, you know, the five I wills, I will be, I will be, I will be like the most high, right? And Elohim is the one true God. He's God, all the others are imposters, they're fakes, and this is what you need to know. This is what you need to put your trust in. And this is why, this is what Israel was told in Deuteronomy chapter four. God re rehearsed for them what he did for them and how he revealed himself to them in bringing them out of Egypt, out of slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 35, I'll have it on the screen, it says this, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and that there is none other besides him. It, it is not, we've talked about this a little bit and I don't wanna go deep into this here, but there, there were the, the lesser gods, the sons of God, the gods that, that would uh, try to gain your attention as God. And that's why the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So that when the word says this and when God says this, that you shall know that there are no others besides him, Paul actually makes this clear about what is being said here, that there are no other gods to us, according to us, for us, because he's the one true living God. He is Elohim. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is your creator. So this God we know, this God we know, and we need to know. We need to know him more. We need to have a desire to know him. So let's go back to the verse. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. But it doesn't stop there. He wants us to know some more stuff. He wants us to know that he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in the nations. Wow. Wow. God will be exalted in the nations? When you look around at the news right now, you look at, even in our own country, how God in many ways is, is being shown the door. Not exalted, but here we don't need you anymore. We don't want you anymore. We, we don't want you in our schools. We, we don't want you in our government. There are, I guess there's people fighting like even to have in God we trust taken off the currency, right? I think I read something this week up in Minnesota. Did you see that? Yeah. Is that right, Minnesota? You saw that? And, um, and what is that all about? It's about not exalting God. It's about saying, hey, we don't want you. We're kicking you out. But God's saying, hey, I want you to be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be. I will be, I will rise up. I will be exalted. I will be, I will be high. I will be set up on high. I will be raised, uplifted. I will be exalt, exalted. Now, I think the main understanding of this is here is that God is going to be set on high. He's going to be exalted. Um, in his second coming, in the Lord's second coming, he is going to rise up and he's going to conquer. The Bible tells us that he's coming back to rule, to reign and rule with a rod of iron. He's coming back. He came the first time as the lamb of God, right? The lamb of God. Remember John said, there he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He's not coming back as the lamb of God. He's still the lamb, but he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to rule with the rod, rod of iron. He's coming back to be, to be exalted in the earth. He will be praised. He will, he will be exalted and raised up and lifted up. Now, one of the things that we have to realize, too, is how, how is he going to do that? How is he going to do that? Well, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a vision that John has of the Lord in the first chapter. You just read that first chapter of Revelation, and Revelation is just simply a word. It's actually apocalypsis. It's where we get the word for apocalypse. People think of apocalypse as being like the end, right? It's the apocalypse. It's the end. The word actually means to unveil, to uncover. And so it's the uncovering. The apocalypse is actually the uncovering of Jesus Christ. And so the first chapter of Revelation is actually kind of the unveiling. It's a vision of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that you see in that vision is that, that the Lord has a sword, a flaming sword coming out of his mouth. What is it in, in the vision? It's that the, it, it literally he's coming back with the word of it, the, the power of his word, the, the breath, the word, the, the power of the spirit, the word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God is coming in power and fire and he is coming to rule and reign and he will be exalted in the earth. And so this is what is coming. But there was a time that he came, when he came the first time, that he was also lifted up. He was exalted. He was raised up and lifted up. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, in John chapter 3, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, you remember that Nicodemus came to Jesus um, at night because he was probably um, trying to keep that quiet. He didn't want to come in daytime hours, let him know, let everyone know that he was having a talk with Jesus. So he meets him at night and he has this conversation. That's the conversation where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you do not, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of, of heaven. And later on in that verse, Jesus tells Nicodemus something very interesting. In John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is this about? What is this about? Well, he's saying that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. There was an interesting episode in Exodus. In, um, actually, it's in Numbers. It's in the book of Numbers. It's in the Exodus, but it hap happens to be recorded for us in the book of Numbers, where the people were beginning to complain they were beginning to, of course, they were, they were, um, they disobeyed God. They didn't believe God, that God was going to give them the land. And so God said, okay, well, you're going to just wander around out here in the desert. You're not going to come into the land. And they began to become, you know, just complaining, 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 complaining. And the text there in Numbers tells us that there were these fiery serpents that came and they were biting the people. 
Some of the people were being bite, bitten by these, these people, and, and some were dying. Some were actually dying. And so what came of it was, it was, it was an emergency situation. Like, you know, these fiery snakes were coming and biting the people. And so Moses goes to the Lord and he receives instructions of what to do in the situation. And God tells him to take a, to take a serpent to t- and, and, and make it bronze and to put it on a pole and to lift this pole, this bronze serpent on a pole, to lift this thing up in front of the people and whoever would look upon it would be saved from the emergency of these fiery serpents that were literally causing many of the children of Israel to die. So it was a, it was a very, very interesting thing. And so when, when Moses lifted up the, the, the bronze serpent, uh, the people were healed. The people were saved. The people were not dying anymore. It, it kind of dealt with that emergency situation. And you know, for this reason, the, the idea of a, of, a, of a snake wrapped around a pole uh, became actually a symbol of emergency. In fact, when you see like an ambulance today, you'll, you'll go down the road and you'll see an ambulance. Next time you see an ambulance, look on the door. And, and, and on the door, you'll see, uh, you know, some type of an emergency signal symbol like this. And it is it is it has become the symbol of emergency. But really, it has its origins back in the book of Numbers, where God instructed Moses to put the bronze serpent on a pole. And this is what actually, um, when they looked upon it, it saved the people. Now, go back to the other verse in John three, John three fourteen. As Moses lifted up the servant serpent in the wilderness. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what is this? What is Jesus saying? He's actually referring back to this incident that, uh, you know, they, they, actually, they actually didn't know. They actually saved that bronze pole. For many, many years, they saved it, this, this bronze pole with the serpent on it, until... I think it was Hezekiah. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Hezekiah got so fed up that he like destroyed it. He said, this isn't a thing. This is nothing. And, and, and basically, and he was right. It was something that God used and it became a symbol. But then Jesus, all these years later, says to Nicodemus, Moses lifted up the serpent in the, in the desert and the son of man must be lifted up. And whoever believes upon me will have everlasting life. And so... What happened to Jesus? Jesus was lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And this is the answer. This is the, the emergency, you know? God came to the rescue. There was a, there was a, there was a problem, a, a problem of spiritual death in the world. And God came to the rescue. And when you look at the cross, you need to see that this is, this is what God did. He, he, you know, like the ambulance and the fire trucks on the, right here on this corner. They interrupt our services all the time. <laughs> the sirens and all this stuff. Oh, we got to go get, we got to go take care of somebody's burning down their kitchen. 
On a Saturday night, somebody's burning their kitchen down. You know? God came to the rescue. Our lives were burnt down and destroyed. And, 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 and Jesus was lifted up. So God said, I will be exalted in the earth. And when we look to the cross, when we look to that place where he was exalted, we see the, the answer. We see the answer to our situation. And, you know, there, there was a, I guess there was a slogan that somebody put out. I, I, I guess it was in the 70s, you know, or some, sometimes maybe 60s, 70s. And it was, it was this, Jesus is the answer, you know. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, that's, that's cliche and, and that's a platitude, right? We need some real solutions here. We need some real uh, things to really kind of, you know, solve solutions. We need real answers. No, 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 that's, that's the answer. <laughs> that's the answer for the world. It, Jesus was lifted up on a cross and he became the emergency for the situation of sin and that would, which would wreak havoc in our lives. And we need to look to Jesus in every situation. We need to be still and to know that he's God and I will be exalted in the nations. Amen? Amen. And to know in closing. And to know. And to keep in mind that no matter what happens in your life and no matter what happens in this world, that he is coming back. And he will be exalted in the nations. He, the book of Zechariah tells us, right, that he is going to descend and he's going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to rule and reign. He will be exalted in the earth. So, Christian, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, what's that last verse? I shut my, my screen. Verse 11. What does it say? Somebody who's still got it out. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. Be still and know that I'm with you, that I'm with you. No matter what's going on in your life, he's with you and he's your refuge.